First missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. Some of the acts of some of the apostles or the actions of the Holy Ghost through the church. Okay? Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon this message this morning. We give you all glory, honor, and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 13 verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them forth. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Sal- Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They had also John to their minister. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. And we'll get into all of that in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. And Father, we ask God that you would anoint us to bring it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. We're getting into the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul now. Look at verse 25 of chapter 12. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark, which means they've made their way back to Antioch of Syria. Now, Antioch of Syria is located over in Damascus. I'm going to use two different maps here for you. Okay, I don't know if you can see that one or not, so I'll point over here. Um, Right here, here's Syria. There's Antioch of Syria is right up at the top, and then they're going to make their way over to Cyprus. This is Cyprus right here. All right? So they're going to move from Antioch of Syria over into Cyprus. From Cyprus, they're going to move to Perga of Pamphylia. And then from there, they're going to go up into Antioch, another Antioch. But Antioch here is located in the Galatian territory. All right? They're going to go into Antioch, uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. This is all going to be up in the Galatian area. This is Asia Minor. Okay, so let me go over it again. Syria, Antioch of Syria, down to Cyprus, this island. From there to Perga. Okay, Galatian territory from there. Antioch in Galatian territory. This is Asia Minor. This right now today is modern day Turkey. So you'll understand that. So you see this word Asia right here. It's not Asia like in China. It's Asia Minor. And there are churches that are recorded right here in Asia Minor like the Church of Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamos, etc. You'll be familiar with these seven churches that are located in the book of Revelation. The seven churches in the book of Revelation are located in Asia Minor. You with me so far? Okay. So when they come over here from Cyprus from Antioch of Syria, then they're moving into 
Asia Minor, the lower part of Asia Minor. They're going to go up into Galatian territory. Then they're going to go back through the churches they cover and go back to Antioch of Syria. So Antioch of Syria will become the headquarters of the missionary work of the church at this time. Gentile headquarters. Amen? Okay, so you see that right there. I may make reference back to these maps here, but I'll show you the missionary journeys on the maps that I have here. Okay? All right, first of all, look at uh, chapter 13. We found out in chapter 12, verse 25, that Barnabas and Saul have returned from Jerusalem back to Antioch, which you could call, in a sense, the Gentile capital of the church. So verse 1, it says, There were in the church that was in Antioch, and lists five different men. They are prophets and they are teachers. So we have come across the apostles, prophets, teachers. We've come across deacons in the word of the Lord. In this context right here, over there in Antioch of this is Syria, Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. And then the Bible says, As Barnabas and Simeon was called Niger Lucius of Cyrene, Manam, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This is Herod Antipas that had John the Baptist beheaded. Uh, this man here, Manam, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and the Bible tells us he is a believer. So Herod Antipas, who behead Saul, had a man that was brought up with him who became a believer. So he turned out right. Verse 2, though, the Bible says, as the church there in Antioch, they ministered to the Lord. Verse 2, look at that, please. Verse 2, what does it mean to minister to the Lord? We go back in the days of David, in the tabernacle of David, you will find that they ministered to the Lord in song. So when you come to church and you worship God, to minister to the Lord means you delight in the Lord. You take delight in the Lord. Really, you're delighting in His own self-delight. Because He delights in Himself. Okay? So when you minister to the Lord, you're delighting in the fact that He delights in Himself. And you are bringing a worship to the Lord by way of song, by way of praise, etc. So this is what was going on in the church of Antioch with these prophets, etc., and teachers that were there and apostles that were there. And they were just having an awesome time worshiping God, ministering to the Lord. So when you come to church this morning and you started singing praise to the Lord and you started delighting in the Lord, delighting in His own self-delight, at that point you are ministering to the Lord. If you came in here and you got yourself all down, you know, and you don't want to worship God, you can't even get your hands up, you can't sing, you have not ministered to the Lord. Okay? When you come into the house of God, you are to minister to the Lord. I'm to minister to the Lord. I'm not to hang my head down because I am in the presence of a king. And, and when you come into the presence of a king, there's a certain protocol that you come to the presence. Oh, hello. See, that brings me back to this idea of, of the dress. We're trying to change the way we look around here. Why are we doing that? Because there is a certain protocol. You are, would you walk, I, I got a question for you today. Okay. If the President of the United States called you on the telephone and said, I would like to meet with you this morning, how would you dress to meet him? Would you dress the same way you're dressed right now? Would you dress that way if the President of the United States asked you to come and visit with him? 
If you can say in your mind right now, There's, I would not dress the way I am today to meet the President of the United States, then why are you here this morning? Dress like you are. You are in the presence of God Almighty. So, you know, what I'm trying to say to you is, is getting on to you is there's a certain protocol when you go in the presence of the President of the United States. Come on, wake up. There's a certain protocol that you're going to go in the president's, president's presence with, a certain way you're going to dress, a certain way you're going to act, okay? And probably some of you get a, will get a book on ethics, you know, or whatever they call it, how to be a gentleman, how to handle what, what side to put the fork on, what side to put the spoon on. You know what I'm trying to say? Hello? Why would you take all that effort? Because you're in the, in, in the presence of an important person, the President of the United States. I don't care if you like the man, I'm talking about the office. The office. Okay? So when we come to the presence of the Lord, we're going to dress it up. We are going to dress it up. Amen? This is no longer the gangs on the south side. You're no longer in the gangs. You're not a cholo anymore. You're a Christian. I don't. How do you want me to talk to you? When you come into the presence of the Lord from now on, you're getting rid of all of that stuff. You're going to come in here in a certain protocol. You're going to dress a certain way. You're going to dress to, to visit the king. And to minister to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you wouldn't go in the, in the presence of the President of the United States the way you're dressed this morning, you will not come in here dressed that way anymore because you're coming into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Dress it up. Get some protocol about you and minister to the Lord. And when you come in here, don't come in here sad. Come in here with a praise and a delight in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Minister to Him. Put a smile on your face and a celebration in your heart and a song on your lips and a worship from your heart and delight in the Lord your God. That's what the word minister means. we got to get that slave mentality out of you. Say amen. There was a time when Israel were slaves. God turned those slaves into kings. But they had a slave mentality for years and years and years. God had to get that slave mentality out of them and had to teach them how to reign as kings in His kingdom. So I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to be nice though like I am right now. Say amen. Brother Tim says, thank you Jesus. Brother Pastor, Pastor's nice. Being nice this morning. you got to get rid of that slave mentality. When you come to the kingdom of God, you are a king priest unto God. A king priest. Amen. So we've come here to worship the Lord. We've come to minister to Him. We've come to delight in His self-delight. He rejoices in Himself. He rejoices in His attributes. And when you minister to God, you're coming in here with a certain protocol. And that is to minister to the King of kings and Lord of lords and delight in His attributes of power and love and all the things that God is and who He is. Hallelujah! 
How many of y'all came ready to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Okay, so praise the Lord. Now, I, you know, for those of you who didn't wear a tie this morning, I noticed some of you got your button buttoned up. Well, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's a big step for some of you guys. And normally it's down here. With your little change you used to wear. At least we got rid of the change and got the button buttoned up. Hallelujah. This is called practical preaching, Bishop. Amen. Now, let me get into the Word of God. No, not really. So, how many of y'all came to minister to the Lord? You came to delight in Him. Good. Me too. I did too. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. All right. Verse 2, the Bible says, They ministered to the Lord, and what did they do? Fasted. So now you know what ministering to the Lord is. Certain protocol, certain way you approach the king. The way you approach the king is delight in his delight, in his self-delight. Worship, sing unto the Lord. This was all going on in that church. Amen? Amen. The Bible says in, in, at that time they fasted. Now let me talk to you about fasting. Fasting is not for God. If you have the idea that, well, I'm fasting for God. I'm going to go on a fast for God. Number one, you don't fast for God because God doesn't need to fast. You understand that, right? How many understand God doesn't need to fast? God lives above the hunger line. He don't ever get hungry. In fact, the Psalms, He says, if I got hungry, would I tell you? God says, if I got hungry, would I tell you? If God got hungry, He said, would I tell you? I, there's nothing you could do about it if I got hungry. If God should get hungry, would He tell you? So God doesn't get hungry. God doesn't, He lives above the hunger line. He lives above the fasting line. So when you fast, you're not fasting for God. You're fasting for you. How many of y'all know that? Praise the Lord. You know that, right? It's not for God. It's for you. Amen. Why? Because you've got to get yourself in a place where you can hear God. Right? Not fasting for God, you're fasting for you. God doesn't need to fast. I do. Why do I need to fast? Yeah, you're God. God, you're not fasting to get a word from God. Some people think, well, I'm going to fast so I can get a word from God. No, you're not fasting to get a word from God. God is always talking all the time. The reason why you're fasting is so you can hear the voice of God who's talking all the time. And the reason why you can't hear the voice of God is because you've got it covered up with all that flesh. Now, me too. Me too. I got it covered up. You know, we live in a society that is trying to find satisfaction and happiness by so many different methods, you know, eating, I call it comfort, eat for comfort, you know, I'm just happy, I'm miserable, so I'm going to eat because that makes me feel good, you know, so, hallelujah, anyway, really what you're doing and what I'm doing when I do that is a, is a I'm recognizing I'm hungry for something, I'm hungry for God, really ultimately you're hungry for God. Now, there's nothing wrong with you. I like good food just like you do. And I enjoy eating like you do, right? 
Praise the Lord. But ultimately, a lot of the appetites and the cravings that we have really are saying you're hungry for God. And so people in the world, okay, and maybe sometimes us, we try to fill those cravings with eating, overeating, you know, and we start getting too heavy and that just we're carrying so much weight and we're so heavy that we can't hear God because the Spirit's all covered up with flesh and carnality and heaviness and we've weighed it down. You see what I'm saying? So what happens when you fast, you're fasting for yourself. You're getting rid of the flesh and the carnality and that old heaviness that's hindering you from hearing the Lord Jesus Christ. Say praise the Lord. Fasting is not for God. Fasting doesn't get you points with God. See, some of you think, well, if I fast, I'm going to get a point with God. God's going to... Yeah, no, no, no. You don't fast to get points with God. You don't fast to get merit with God. The blood of Jesus Christ and His salvation for you is the merit that you have. You understand what I'm telling you? So I'm not fasting to get a point with God or to get God on my side or to obtain merit with God. Nor am I fasting to make myself miserable. Are some of y'all fasting this morning? You look like it. You do not fast just to make yourself miserable. You can go through church history and you can see men that equated godliness with misery. And I'm preaching to some of you this morning. Because you go through life and you think that anything that brings joy to you or happiness or satisfaction to you can't be God, you know, because really for it to be God, it has to be miserable, it has to be unhappy, now, listen, are y'all with me this morning? And you can study history where there were men who would take a bowl of soup and pour ashes on the soup. They'd go to their fireplace and get ashes and put it in their soup so they wouldn't enjoy their soup to honor God. Let me tell you something, my friend. You need to get rid of that spirit and that attitude because God is a good God and He fills our heart with happiness. He fills our heart with joy. He wants to bless your life. And so, this idea that the more miserable you are, the more godly you are, is not in the Word of God. Okay? So when you fast, fast not to make yourself miserable. Okay, that's not the reason why you fast. You got it? You're not fasting for God. You're fasting for yourself. You're not fasting to get merit from God. You're not fasting to make yourself miserable so that you can appear to be more godly. You're just an idiot. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm just telling you the truth. Amen? Wow, why do I have to start out this way? Why can't I just be a theologian and get up there and just... Are y'all awake this morning? Okay. Talk to us right, Pastor. Okay. 
Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, you're not fasting for God. You're not fasting to, to uh, you know, a merit something from God, to get a point from God. You're not fasting to make yourself miserable. You are fasting, so, and, and you're not fasting to get more of God. You cannot get more of God, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, than you got when you got filled with the Holy Ghost. So we're not fasting to get more of God. He gave you His whole Spirit. You know what I'm saying? He gave Himself completely to you is what I mean. I mean, He didn't receive all of the Spirit of God in you. You'd blow up if you did that, but you know what I'm saying. He filled you with the Spirit. So when you fast, you're not fasting, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to get more of God. You are fasting so God can get more of you. So now you got it, right? Let me go over it again. You're not fasting for God. You're fasting for you. You're not fasting to obtain merit from God. You're not fasting to make yourself miserable. You're fasting so God, all right, not that you can get more of God, but that God can get more of you. And you get that old flesh out of the way. You get that old heaviness out of the way. You get that old carnality out of the way. You get those cravings out of the way. And then now you're free to hear the voice of God that's been talking the whole time. You just had to get you out of the way, so to speak. Say amen. So now you understand fasting? If you do, would you lift your hand so I can see? Thank God. Praise the Lord. What I just said right there, I could dismiss you and let you go home. You, we need to understand that. Because a lot of times, I don't know if you've ever heard that before or not, but you're fasting, you're fasting completely for the wrong reason. Amen. Sometimes you think, well, your body is your body. You can do what, do with your body, whatever you want to do with your body, and it will not affect your spirit. You can gorge it, you can feed it, you know, you can overeat, you can just, you can, you know, smoke, you can drink, you can do whatever you want to the body. You understand? And you have this idea that it doesn't affect your spirit. That is not true. You understand what I'm saying? How many of you have that, the, that ideology that what you do with your body doesn't affect your spirit? That is not accurate. If I were to take a knife this morning and plunge it into Brother Timothy, our sister does, he couldn't say, oh, you just hurt my body right then. Right? No. If sister or pastor plunges a knife in Brother Timothy, and I'm not advocating that, we put a knife in him. He feels it all over. He doesn't just feel it in his body. He feels it in his soul, his emotions. His spirit is affected. So what you do in your body does affect your spirit. If you gorge your body, it affects your soul and your spirit. 
If you feed your body with carnality and fleshly things, it affects your soul, it affects your spirit, your body, soul, and spirit, but you're one person. So when you get the cravings of your body under control, then the cravings of your soul are under control. And it opens up your spirit to be able to hear God's voice. Say, now we pull the knife out of you, brother. So they're ministering to the Lord, they're singing unto the Lord, and they are fasting. All known religions of the world fast. Not just Christianity. All, all known religions of the world fast. Many, the witch doctor fasts. You know why the witch doctor fasts? So he can hear the voice of the devil more clearly. When you and I fast, we're fasting so we can hear the voice of God more clearly. Amen. But all known religions of the world fast because they know how important it is to get the victory over the flesh. Wow. Okay, say amen. Yeah. Y'all don't act like that's really a big deal what I've just shared with you this morning. You ought to be running and shouting and praising God for that. Was that hard to swallow? No. Okay, good. Now you know. All right, now watch. I'm fixing to lay something else on you this morning. It's called the Word of God. (laughs) You know, obviously, I I kid around with y'all. I say, y'all come back for another beating, you know. You know why I say that? Because that's some people's mentality. When they come to church, they think I'm beating them, you know. So I just get in right there with you. I say, just come back for another beating. Say amen. So anyway, I'm fixing to lay something else on you today. They ministered to the Lord. They delighted in His self-delight. They delighted in His attributes. They sang praises unto God. And then they fasted to the Lord and we covered what fasting is. How many of y'all need to fast? Yeah, we all do. Praise God. But when you do, put a smile on your face. Praise God. Don't worry, I'm fasting, can't you tell? You're a Pharisee. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so now, hallelujah, we got those two things taken care of. Now watch, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Bible says in this process, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they being sent forth by who? By the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Next thing I gotta tell you is that nobody comes to you and prophesies to you and calls you into the ministry. Did you catch that? No man calls any man into the ministry. No man calls any man into the mission field. Praise the Lord. Look at that brother. Look how good he is. He's got a map of the missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul. He didn't even know that until this morning. Way to go, Bloss. Let's all give God praise for Brother Bloss. He found it. He got it right there. So I don't even need this thing anymore. Man, I've been carrying this thing around like a crutch. I don't even need this thing anymore. Thanks, Bloss. Appreciate it, brother. Okay. Now, 
let me give you some examples. Somebody comes to you and they say, and they have a prophecy for you. They say, I prophesy to you that you're called into the ministry. Okay? I prophesy to you that you are called to go to a mission field. I prophesy to you that you're supposed to go to China. If they come to you and they prophesy to you and they say, you're supposed to go to China, look them in the eyeballs and tell them, if God said that to you, that means you're supposed to go. God can reveal to the pastor, God can reveal to prophets, God can reveal to men and women of God what He wants to do in your life, but no man calls you to the ministry. Only God can call you to the ministry. Only God can call you to the mission field. Only God can send you into the mission field. And what the church does is just recognize that call on your life to go into that ministry or to go into that field. Therefore, we can get behind you, lay hands on you, pray for you, support you. You understand? That's what we can do. But let me say it again. Nobody calls you into the ministry. No man. Only God can. Nobody calls you to the mission field. Only God can. Say amen. amen. And what they do here is not a prophecy. They are not prophesying to Barnabas and Saul that they are to go to the mission field. God already told Barnabas and Saul what they were going to do. So the church just recognized what God already told them they were going to do. You understand what I'm trying to say today? I had a woman a long time ago when we first started the church. We've been through so many different situations. Uh, I'm not even going to begin to try to address them all. But I can tell you way back when we first started the church over there on Brazos that this woman comes into the church. She's got earrings down to about the middle of her neck. Okay? On and on it goes. I'm not going to describe the way she looked altogether. But she comes into the church there. And I'm, you know, I'm preaching and, and whatnot. I get through preaching and she walks up to me and she says, basically, I've got a word from God for you. Okay. She says, you're not running this church right. I looked her in the eyeballs and I said, you don't have a word from me or me from God. Because God's not going to send my mail to your address. If God wants me to know something, He'll tell me. So I knew right off, number one, she was out of order. Number two, she hadn't heard from God. She was a witch. Okay? God is not, does not work that way. Okay? God's going to tell you God's going to tell me. It can be confirmed by prophecy. It can be confirmed by the church and recognized by the church, but the church doesn't call you. Men do not call you. And they don't even prophesy to you about... Are y'all with me right now? Prophesy you into that mission. They're not prophesying here. Say amen. I've got issues here, but y'all, are y'all with me right now? For example, one meeting, a man got in a prayer line. Y'all ever, if you've been in Pentecost very long or, you know, this kind of move, the, 
believes in the gifts of the spirits and gift of the spirit, excuse me, not the gifts of the spirit. So, but the gift of the spirit. Sometimes the church will have prayer lines. Amen. So anyway, people, one man got in a prayer line and he stood there and this man was prophesying to people, telling them, you know, you're going to do this and you're going to go here and all this stuff was going on and prophesying about the call. This man walks up the line. This preacher, this so-called prophet says, and by the way, I believe in prophets. I'm trying to show you the way it works though. This prophet says, God is calling you to China. He walks out of the line. God's called me to China. Right? His wife follows him in the line. And this man says, God has called you to India. She said, you just sent my husband to China. He said, oh, oh, oh. He said, I meant Indochina. If you let somebody constantly come in your life and prophesy to you and tell you, you need to go here and you need to go there. If I listen to everybody, if I listen to the Women's Auxiliary Club who got together and prayed and had a vision, came to me, Pastor, God said you're supposed to go all over the world. You're supposed to go here and go there. And if I were to listen to every prophecy that has ever come to me, I'd be all over the place this morning. I'd probably be in two places at the same time. Because some little old sister in the church had a vision from God that pastor's supposed to go over here. And then another brother, I got a vision from God, pastor, you're supposed to go here. If I was listening to both of them, I'd be split right down the middle. If I listened to every prophecy that has ever come to me, I would be all over the place. God doesn't work that way. How does He work? God will tell you. God will call you. And then the church will recognize that call. A pastor will recognize that call. The church will recognize that call. Amen. Amen. That's what they're doing right here. They're simply doing what God is telling them to do. They're, they're fulfilling what God has already told Paul he was going to do. The, the Holy Ghost told, told Paul at the beginning of his conversion, he would be an apostle to the Gentiles. Seventeen years before. He put that on the shelf. And now it's time for him to go into that fulfillment. Say amen. That God told him. It's called ordination. Boy, y'all look at me like you don't believe me. Well, get in the Bible. Okay, alright, if you don't believe me, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't have a problem with that. Get in the Bible though and show me if what I'm telling you is accurate or not. If what I'm telling you this morning is not accurate, prove it by the Bible. Okay, and if you can prove it, then I'll change. I'll say, yeah, I've been showed in the Bible that you can prophesy a person's call and you can prophesy a person's, you know, where they're supposed to go and you can tell them where to go and they don't even know it. They don't even know they're supposed to go, but you can tell them. Uh, prove it by the Bible is all I can say. And I, the Word of God is the authority, not me. So, let's look at something real quick. Acts 22. 
You remember the Apostle Paul's uh, his testimony in Acts 22. <clears throat> All right. Verse, let me get the text here. Um, Okay, verse 17. Now, Ananias is used by God. How is Ananias used by God in Paul's life? He's used by God to uh, show Paul the need for baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He showed Ananias that Paul would be a great witness in the kingdom. Okay? And Ananias tells Paul these things. But look at the actual call into the ministry of it being an, an apostle to the Gentiles. The Bible tells us in verse 17 of Acts 22, came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I am imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believe on thee. That I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on me. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. He has a vision from God and God himself tells Paul at this point 17 years before he ever becomes a missionary to the Gentiles, God tells Paul himself he's going to be in that ministry. Ananias didn't call him. Ananias didn't prophesy to him. God himself told Paul, you will be an apostle or you will go to the Gentiles. Paul already knows the call of God in his life. Say amen. The finger of God, ordination means to point the finger. Ordination is not paper. You can go on the internet. I don't care who you are. You can go on the internet and get your ordination papers. Just send your $25 check. They'll send you back ordination papers. You can purchase your ordination papers on the internet. So when we talk about ordination or being ordained, we're not talking about papers. Mm -mm. We're not talking about your ordination papers that you can buy on the internet. Say amen. Ordination means to point the finger. Are y'all bored? I might just fold up and go home. Hallelujah. I mean, something not right. Maybe with me, but anyway. Ordination means to point the finger. God points the finger at you. You know what God's call in your life is. And then, people recognize the call of God on your life. They're not prophesying to you that call. They're not telling you that you are to be a preacher. They're not telling you where to go. They recognize what the Holy Ghost has said you will do. 
they recognize what God said you would do and what where God is sending you. That's what's happening in this passage. They have a word of knowledge. They have a word of wisdom. But they're not prophesying to them their ministry or where they're to go. They already knew that Paul already knew he was going to be a, a <clears throat> sent to the Gentiles. God Himself told him that. Amen. That's ordination. That's when God points the finger inside of you. God's pointing the finger inside of you, and you can't get away from it. It's not an upside, you know, up and down, up and down. I feel like I'm called, and then the next day you don't feel like you're called, and then the next day you feel like you're called, and then the next month you feel like you're called. Year goes by, you don't feel like you're called. If you're really called, you will know it. You're going to know it. I can't call you. I will not call you. Your wife can't call you. Oh boy, yeah. oh, it's quiet in here. Man. I must be really doing a good job. That's the way I interpret this. I must be really doing... Your wife can't call you. Let me explain something to you. Uh, you know, let's say your wife sees the preacher. He's up there. He's preaching, you know. He's up front. He's in the limelight. Oh boy, look at the limelight. Mm. He's up front. He's in the limelight. He gets to tell people what to do all the time. You know, he's got power and he's got authority. You know, and and so the wife said, "Hmm, I sure would like for my husband to do that. I'd like for him to be in the limelight like that. I'd like for him to get recognition. I'd like for us to be important like that. Come on. So, hun, I think you're called to preach. Say amen." And then he gets in the pulpit. Uh, really, it wasn't God that called him. You called him. It's what you wanted him to do. And he gets in the pulpit, and pardon my, my ways this morning, but all the sisters in the church get around him and say, we love you. Tears running down their face. We love you. You're the greatest thing. Oh, thank God. Please don't leave us. <laughs> oh, we love you. And if you're a jealous wife, amen. Say, amen. let me just, okay. You're the wife that wanted him up front and in the limelight. And then all the sisters, we love you. We thank God for you. You're and then she's over there going, what's going on here? <laughs> well, you wanted him up front. You wanted him to have all the attention, right? Why are you jealous? Amen, amen. Which leads me to the next point. If you're a jealous woman, you better hope to God that God never calls that man into the ministry. If you're a jealous woman. Because there will be uh, sisters in the church that he's going to be uh, work dealing with, etc. They're going to be dealing with him. And so if you're a jealous woman, you better pray instead of wanting him up there. You better pray to God that God doesn't call him because you're going to lose your mind. Say praise the Lord. It's quiet in here this morning. So we talked about ministering to the Lord. We talked about fasting. We talked about calls. God ordains though. God calls. He points the finger. And He does it on the inside of you. And you know that you know that you know. 
I remember after five years of being in the church, I knew the very moment God called me. I was in an altar. I was praying. And I stood up and the Holy Ghost called me. said, I've called you into the ministry. Start preparing. And I went to my pastor and I told my pastor. It probably shocked him completely. Looking at me then, it shocked me. That I was called into the ministry. No, he, he knew it. Because the finger was, he saw the finger of God pointing at me. The finger of God was pointing in me first when I told him, then the finger of God, he saw the finger of God, and he said yes. And then the church said, yes, that's right. He is called. The pastor said, you're right, you're called. The church pointed the finger. You're right, he's called. And all of a sudden, people start coming around you because the finger's pointing in them to you, letting them know that you can help them. And God, so God leads people to you. He points the finger at you in them, telling them you can help them, but He's already pointed the finger on the inside of you, letting you know what you're supposed to do. Ordination means to point the finger. So if God is really pointing the finger at you, at some time, at some point, man's going to point the finger at you. That's right. You're called. That's right. I recognize that. And the church recognizes this is right. This is God. You understand. It's no man pointing the finger saying, you're called to preach. It's no man pointing the finger saying, you're, you have a, that, okay, this is your call. This is where you're supposed to go. It's a recognition of what God has said. It's a recognition of the ordination of God. It's a recognition of the call of God that we see in people. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I believe God's hand. Oh, I believe God's hands on your life. I don't know how that's going to work out, but I believe God's hand in your life. I see the finger of God on you, pointing at you. Do you see? All right. So you have to be very, very careful because in the New Testament church, they are not prophesying to Paul and Barnabas to go to the mission field. Mm -mm. They're recognizing what God is saying. And it's God that's sending them, and the church is simply getting around on a human level, praying for them and saying, we'll be behind you when you go. Wow. That will help so many of you. Because you got prophets coming around you all the time. Our prophetesses. You need to go here. You need to do this. You need to do that. I haven't heard that. I'm not going to do that until I hear it. Say amen. amen. When God tells me, then I'll do it. God's not going to send my mail to your address. He's going to send my mail to my address. And I told that witch that, you're not running your church right. I said, you didn't hear from God. God's not going to send my mail to you. And she walked out. She's all mad, you know. you got to understand what happens. These things are not of God. You know? Right before we made the move from the old church building to this one, we had 
people coming in that church, sitting in the back of the pew, claiming to be prophets. We're going through a transition. We're fixing to move from one building to another. Had a woman come sit in the very back. I remember, and I was preaching the Word of God. I saw her come in, and I discerned her spirit when she came in. And I, after I got through preaching, I dismissed the church, and this woman was trying to catch every saint that she could to try to prophesy over her, okay, over them. And I believe it was Sister Kathy, this this woman came up to her and was trying to prophesy over Sister Kathy. I said, Sister Kathy, get in your car, ignore her, and drive off. She's not sent by God. Sister Kathy can tell you she got in her car and drove off, ignored the woman. Well, I got in my car as well. I, I knew she wasn't sent by God. She turned from Sister Kathy. She wanted to start talking to me. I told my family to get in the car. We got in the car, slammed the doors, and drove off. Never even gave her the time of day to talk. And as I drove down the road, Brazos, I looked in my rearview mirror and she was going down the highway. You know what I, yeah, or whatever, whatever that was going on, you know, and she's trying to act like a prophetess. Well, what she was saying basically was the whole church was full of rebels. But I don't need her to tell me that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so, you know, we've had our running with, a, with dingbats. I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to show you so you don't get messed up. Because they're going to come around you and they're going to tell you, God's telling me you need to go here. God's telling me you need... Yeah, No, no, God will tell me if I'm supposed to do that, God will tell me first and then it will be confirmed by people. It will be confirmed by my pastor. It will be confirmed by the church. They'll recognize that God is pointing the finger at you. Hallelujah! And if there's a prophecy about something you're going to do, just put it on the shelf. Amen. But it's coming from God. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. I love you. I love you. Heavy, isn't it? How many of y'all ever had somebody prophesy over you all the time? Just constantly want to prophesy over you. I got a word from you. For you. Listen. Oh, I could go on and on and on and on and on. I started started pastoring over there in Brazos. These sisters get together, some of them. And one person, not even in our church, had these big prayer meetings, inviting the sisters out of our church to her home prayer meeting. And they'd get together in these home prayer meetings, right? And um, the person that organized this prayer meeting was supposed to have a prophetic gifting in her life. And she'd get some of her friends over there that were supposed to have prophetic giftings in her life. And some of the saints in my church would go over to her house. And they'd call me on the telephone. They'd say, Pastor, I'm really confused. Because this woman prophesied over me this and over me that and over me this and over me that, you know. I said, well, that's what you get for going over there. Okay? Okay, say amen. So hallelujah. So you're that kind of person. That you're looking for somebody to always have a word. I got a word from you. And that's what that situation was. Every time they walk through the door, I got a word for you. I got a word for you. I got a word for you. Really? Tell me. 
God should have already told you if it was from Him. And then when they spoke it, you would say, that's right, because God told me. It won't create a bunch of confusion. It won't send your husband to China and you to India. <laughs> Hallelujah to the Lamb! Did that help anybody here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really, I understand because I was there at one time when I was trying to discern the will of God in my life, whether or not I was called a pastor or, I mean, or preach, you know. And I was waiting for these big men of God, great men of God, and they were. They are great men of God, gifted men of God. To step down after they got through preaching, to come straight to me and say, you're called to preach. I was waiting for him because I, you know, I was hoping for that kind of word. And they'd walk down off the platform and walk right by me. And I said, hey, here I am. You, you miss me. Here I am. Well, really, what, what I recognize now is that was the finger of God telling me I was. They could have came down and confirmed it. But they could not have called me to pastoral preach. God doesn't work that way. Say amen. Okay. Hallelujah. God bless your little heart. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. You know, in this hour, in this age that we live, you have to know the way God works and you have to really know where you've got to take a stand. Because there'll, there'll be people prophesying to you all the time telling you what you need to do. Say amen. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to a man today that I felt God wanted to do a certain thing in his life. I said, brother, but I can't call you to do it. I said, you got to hear. But I have to test this. Am I really hearing from the Lord? If I am, I'm pointing the finger at you. Is God pointing the finger at you on the inside of you? That's what I asked him this morning. Okay, say amen. So anyway, the Bible says they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, look at this, the Holy Ghost said, the Holy Ghost is in charge of this whole event. Okay? Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. See, I, God, Jesus said, I have called them. Now I'm revealing to the church what I've already told them I want to do with them. Got it? That's the way it works. I'm revealing to the church what I've already told them they're going to do. It's not a surprise to Paul. It's not a surprise to Barnabas that, oh, Am I supposed to go in the mission field? Wow, really? Ooh, thank God for telling me because I didn't know. No, they already knew it and the church is just confirming what God had already called them to do. Say amen. It's not a, an official board sending you. It's not a hierarchy sending you. I know a man. The hierarchy wanted to send him to a certain mission field. He wasn't sent. To that mission field. The hierarchy wanted him to go there. He said, I'll submit to you in love, but I cannot obey you. Because God has called me here. And he said, I have never heard of a man going to a mission field that he wasn't called by God to. 
And eventually he had to pull away from that particular organization. He submitted to them in love, but he could not obey them. Because God had called them to a mission field. Do you understand? So it's not an official board that sends you or whatever. It's where God sends you. Okay? Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and prayerfully, the church recognizes it and say, yeah, that's right. These two men, Paul and Barnabas, are the top men. The church can look at it and say, well, we can't afford to get rid of these or, or, or lose these two men to the mission field. They're too important for us here. No, God said, I have called them to do this. So now you get behind them. You identify with them. You lay your hands on them. You send them forth because it's first the Holy Ghost sending them forth. All right, y'all with me? And some people come to me, Pastor, I'm called to preach. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm called to preach. I didn't feel the finger pointing at them. They thought they were, but I didn't. God never told me they were called to preach. Say amen. Yeah, your, your fingernails are not getting any longer and they're not getting any cleaner. Look up here at me. I'm giving you something that is so important for you that will help you for the rest of your life. Amen? So that if witches come up to you and say, <laughs> Just look at him and say, Shut up! You haven't heard from God. No, no, be nice. Don't be like me. You're supposed to go here. No. No, no, no. You are. If you heard that, you go. You're not sending me to China. If you heard that, you go to China. And they might get mad. They might walk out of the church like this. Goodbye, good riddance. Say amen. Ring-a-ding-ding. Hello. We wanted to invite you to a love service. Because we we know you don't get much love where you go to church. So, we're feeling let a God to invite you to our love service. Oh, yeah. Because we really love over here. (laughs) Well, thank you for your invitation, but I haven't heard God telling me to go to your love service. I'm not a flower child. I'm not a love child. Okay. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Well, I heard y'all aren't having church tonight. Just wanted to call you and invite you over. Yeah, can't you see through that? Just tell him, shut up, stupid, you go. Got it? No, <laughs> I'm supposed to go. I'd be there. 
Hallelujah. I just tell, if I'm supposed to be there, I'll go. God, if God sends me, I'll go. You know, just hang on. You go, you go, you go, you go. Hallelujah. I got one, one man. I'm going to hit it right here. I, I should hit it privately, but I'm going to hit it publicly. I got one man walk up to one man, one brother the other day, say, you're, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do that. And I told my wife, I said, I'll deal with him face to face. I'm not calling him on the phone because he gets too bold on the phone. You have no authority to walk up to any brother or sister in the church. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. I'll sit you down, boy. Walk around, act like you got some kind of authority in your life. You boss the, the saints of God around like that. Cut your head off. I don't have time to mess with that all the time. Say amen. amen. Somebody in the church walk up and you say, I tell you, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. You know. uh, tell them, you need to call that person back and go to their love service. <laughs> Jesus. Hallelujah. So you want to go, you want to be in the ministry. I told Brother Daniel, I'm going to write a book so you're called, so you think you're called to preach. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank God. I love every one of you. I invite you to my love service. Come on in here to my love service. Hallelujah. I'm loving on you this morning. You know, I got about three hours worth I got to cover today. So we might not get out of here by the mid-afternoon. But I want to make sure you understand the way God operates. Say amen. amen. Woo, glory to God. Hey, I really trust that nobody's going to mess you up because of what I'm putting into you right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, just ask him to say, well, did you call my pastor and, and talk to him about your love service? Because he might want to go to your love service. He might want to even sing in your love service. You ask him. Did you guys, did you invite him to your love service? Pastor would love to come to your love service. Watch, watch the response. <laughs> You'll find out real quick that they're from God or not. They're from God. They won't have a problem calling the pastor and see if he wants to come to their love service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Is this helping anybody? I can't believe we're putting this on tape. So God has already called them to do what they're supposed to do, right? And the Bible says now the church, when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. But it's the Holy Ghost having already revealed His will to the one that's going and to the church that is going to get behind them. That's the only thing that's happening here. It is not a prophesying from anybody in that church where they are to go. 
I love you. I love you. I mean, okay, you, you may not understand me, my methods, but I'm telling you, this is reality. Okay? And you come in here and act all religious and all, yeah, you wait till you get in the battle. Okay? And you'll know what to do. Go there, that's not God. God don't work that way. God doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. How many of y'all believe that God would send your mail to somebody else's address before He... You understand? It's possible He would send this, the, the same letter, send you the letter and send your pastor the letter and then we both get the letter and say... We compare letters and say, that's right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> There's been times some of y'all come. I believe God's hands on your life. I don't know what that means ultimately, but I believe God's hands on your life. Just put it on the shelf until God breaks in and says, "Now's the time." Because if you go in there and you start try to self-fulfill something, you'll mess it all up anyway. Woo! Somebody say, "Praise the Lord." Yeah, hallelujah, it's almost 12. So now you understand about the way you come to church, the way you minister to the Lord. You understand about fasting, what that means. Praise the Lord. Some of y'all, would y'all please do me a favor and break your fast after church today and eat some soup without ash on it? Okay, and then come back in here. Full of the joy of God. <laughs> okay. And, and now you understand about the way God works. He calls you. Nobody else does. He sends you. Nobody else does. It's just the people recognizing it and, okay, and getting behind it. Say amen. Thank God. And I don't believe God has really called anybody if nobody recognizes that you've been called. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. God's been, God's called me, and nobody in the church even knows it. I'm a prophet. It, you know, it's kind of like that guy that went to church one, one night. I wasn't pastoring at the time, and he walked in the church. He was all drunk, you know, and he lifts his hand, and he said to the pastor, the church, solo, solo, which means he wanted to sing a solo right then and there. <laughs> Drug, he, it's a miracle he even got to church, man. Solo. Oh, you got it. Oh, God wants to use you to sing, brother. Come on up. We'll shut down the whole service. We'll stop preaching right now just because you lift your hand. You said, God said, you, you can sing a solo in church. You follow what I'm trying to tell you? You're going to have situations like that. People come. I believe God wants me to do that. I believe God wants me to do that. God's called me to this. Well, I haven't heard it. I'm sorry. I'll wait and I'll pray. And I've been waiting and praying for years and I still haven't heard it. God's called me to sing. If, if He did, at least you could carry a note. And unless you've had a miracle in recent days... Well, I had a dream last night. I had a vision last night. 
Yeah, well, you ate a lot of pizza and, and you mixed it with beans and menudo at the same time. Tacos, enchiladas, pizza, hamburgers, all together. Just threw it all together. Just put it on one pan. And I had a vision last night. I'm dreaming. Pastor, I want to tell you my dream. I don't have time for it. But it's from God. If it's from God, God will tell me to call you and I'll talk to you about it. But I don't hear that. Okay, say praise the Lord. I'm, I'm kind of being silly, but it's real at the same time, you know. Yeah. Ooh, this has been a rough one this morning. Love service. Yeah, yeah. What, what would you do with that? If I announced, uh, church, we're going to have a love service tonight. You know, they already have problems with you anyway, the world. And you start telling them, we had a love service. What does that mean? Uh, who were you rolling around with? You're a holy roller, aren't you? Who were you rolling around with? Yeah. Okay, so has this helped anybody? Yeah. Woo, woo, woo. God told me I was supposed to marry her. You're already married, stupid. He's told me to divorce this one and give me that one. No. No. You want one of them love services. <sighs> wow. Say wow. Didn't he tell you to marry the one you got? Yeah, that's 40 years ago. <laughs> God's changed his mind. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> I think what I'll do is I'll, we'll just we'll keep this tape for you guys. We won't let this out. <laughs> and then I'll come back next week and we'll start over. <laughs> <laughs> oh me <laughs> things <laughs> anyway I, you know you'll just you'll have them what they're trying to do goes completely against everything in scripture but yet they've heard from God you know and it's just it's insane it, it, it's just you know it's really self will is what it is you know Okay, so y'all doing all right? Y'all still love me? It's kind of funny, isn't it? How that goes one way. I'm supposed to be one all loving you, and you come in here, you got stones in your hand. 
Give us a love service, Pastor. We're going to rock you, boy. You don't preach it. Love does. So then they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. See, the Holy Ghost is in, in control of the whole event. From the call to the sending. At no point is there any prophecy given here. None. No prophesying by the church. A recognizing of what God is saying. Say amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And it doesn't matter who likes it and who doesn't like it, who wants it and who doesn't want it. It's what God, His will is and what God wants. Okay? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, man. Thank God He's so good. I had a dream one night and it was real, I believe it was from God. Real dream. And now she's laughing, but I'm this, I'm switching now. <laughs> And this is really the Lord, I believe. And I call this brother up. I said, you know what? There's a woman in your life right now. She looks like this. She, and I described her. I said, is there a woman in your life? I, the question was, yeah. Is there a woman in your life like this? Because I've had a dream. And God is telling me she'll mess you up. He said, right now, this woman is in my life right now. The one you've just described. She's in my life right now. But I believe it's God's will. And he kept on with that. I believe it's God's will. And the Holy Ghost kept telling me, she's going to mess you up. And he kept believing. He heard God. Right? Okay. So I go to the Bible. I go to the Word of God. I try to explain to him. Try to show him that it, this can't be God. Anyway, to make a long story short, she took him for thousands of dollars before it was all said and done. I mean thousands of dollars. Okay? Because he let it go on and on and on to that point. So God will warn you. Amen. And it blew his mind. And he called me just the other day. He said, before I get into another one, he said, I'm calling you because you warned me about the last one. <laughs> you warned me about the last one. What are you? What, what, what now? What now? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Amen, amen. You know, you, you got to be careful. These people come around you, they'll change the voice. Praise the Lord. The world from you, for you all. Yeah. What voice is talking out of you? I've never heard you talk like that before. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, Jesus. We're going we gonna to keep this one for ourselves. <laughs> wow. Say wow. Say praise the Lord. Say anything. Say anything. Say wow. Praise the Lord. Say anything. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know this is God. Okay. There's going to be somebody else going to recognize it too. 
Somebody else is going to recognize it too. It's not just going to be your wife. <laughs> they don't know what they got in that church. That pastor, he, he was really led by God. He would, he would know what you are, what you're called. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, Amber. Yeah. You and your wife the only one to know about it. What time is it? It's almost 12. I believe the Lord's trying to really help you guys. Really. Honestly, this is my opinion. Okay? This is my opinion. I'm not saying you have to believe it. I'm just trying to help you. How many of y'all learned anything in all of that? Good. Are we going to get to the missionary journey? You think, brother? <laughs> All right, let's go. Okay, so anyway, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Say Cyprus. This is Barnabas' old stomping grounds. This is where Barnabas is from. Barnabas. Say Barnabas. That's where he's from. Brother Boss has got it up here for us. Man, that guy's good. Look at it. Here's Antioch of Syria. They travel down to Cyprus. They go over here to the border here, Syria. Antioch is, look at this, Antioch of Syria is the uh, basically the headquarters of the church at this time. It shifted from Jerusalem at this point to Antioch. There's a break from the Jerusalem Jewish church to a more Gentile type location. Okay, you with me? And Paul and Barnabas and these prophets that are mentioned here are located there in Antioch of Syria. Now they go down to Cyprus. This is Barnabas' uh, hometown. Amen. They first go to the border town. They come over here to Paphos. Paphos, Paphos. There's new Paphos, old Paphos. Uh, <clears> hmm. <throat> Okay, so anyway, there in Paphos, if you look at verse 5, let me, before we go there, they sailed to Cyprus, they go to the border town, from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So they did try when they went over to, to the border town, they preached the gospel in the synagogue, they had John Mark as their minister at that time. So if you study it, you'll find out Titus, John, Mark, Barnabas, and Paul are on this journey. And what you will see is, the Bible says John Mark is their minister. That means he's an underrower. That's what the word literally means, to underrow. Okay? He's an oarsman. That doesn't mean literally that he is rowing their ship. It's a term that is used to depict service. So he's their helper. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. Okay, remember back whenever Peter got out of prison? He went to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. Mary was Barnabas' sister. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. So this is a very, very well-known family in the church. John Mark, 
sees that Barnabas, his uncle, is going on this missionary journey with Paul by the Holy Ghost. So John Mark, hey, I'd like to go and help you. You know, can I go too? No, seriously. Can I go too? I want to help. <laughs> I've just got this on me this morning. I can't shake this. <laughs> Can I help? I want to help. I want to go. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Serious. And so, you know, Barn Uncle Barnabas is going, so hey, we can use the help. So bring John Mark with us. He's the nephew of Barnabas, and he's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Same one. Okay? Why are you looking at me like that, Brother Patrick Grand? Can you do better than what I'm doing? You were yawning when I looked at you. You know, I didn't even know you were yawning. <laughs> now I know. So, John Mark, the nephew of Barnabas, and, you know, he wants to go. He goes with them as a helper. That's what the word minister means. He's going to help them. He's going to minister them. Basically, you know, help them do whatever they need. Right? So, John Mark's in the picture here with them. And I believe he's very sincere. I believe that he loves God. I believe that he wants to help them in this work of God, okay? That he knows that God is sending them too. So anyway, we'll kind of set this over on the side for just a moment. The Bible says, and when they reached the border town of, of Cyprus there, Barnabas' old stomping grounds, uh, where he was, you know, where he lived at one time, he, they go into the synagogue, they preach the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John the minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. When they get to Paphos over there in Cyprus, you'll see here, it's right there on the edge of Cyprus. It's on the other side. It's on the other side, right here, okay? When they get over there, this is the seat of Roman government. There is a proconsul there. He's the governor. He is a representative of the Roman Empire. His name is Paul uh, Sergius. Paul Sergius, okay? He is the proconsul. He's the governor there. This is where the seat of government is. And the Bible tells us when they get there, along with the proconsul, Paulus Sergius, there is a sorcerer in his court. And that is a common thing that you have false prophets in the courts of rulers. This man's name is Bar-Jesus. He's called Elimus. Elimus, right? Amen. Say amen. Uh, Elimus, the sorcerer. That simply means, Elimus means simply uh, that he is a sorcerer, that he's a witch. That's what the word means. His name is, he goes by Bar-Jesus. He is a Jew who is a false prophet. He is a magician, which means he's a phony. He's a fake witch. There are real witches, but this one is not a real witch or warlock. He is a phony, sleight-of-hand kind of guy who's in the court of Paulus Sergius here. Amen. He's a Jew. His name is Bar-Jesus, which means Son of Jesus. It could be that he heard about this Jesus that we preach, 
the one Jesus of the Bible, that he heard about Jesus and his miracle working power. So he said, I am a son of that Jesus to give himself some clout, some support by name or claiming association. I am Bar Jesus, the son Bar of Jesus, Jesus. So here this Jew, who the Bible clearly tells us is a sorcerer. He's a magician. He is a false prophet in the court of Sergius Paulus. Bar Jesus by name. The scripture tells us as we go on that verse 8, Eliamus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood him seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So as Barnabas and Saul are declaring the word to Sergius Paulus here, the Bible tells us he desires to hear the word of God. This governor, this proconsul. And so Paul and Barnabas are giving him the word of the Lord. And this sorcerer, this false prophet, this magician named Bar-Jesus, Eliamus, the sorcerer, is there and he's trying to turn them away from Christianity. He's trying to turn Paulus, Sergius Paulus, this uh, proconsul, away from hearing the Word of God. Trying to hinder him from hearing the Word of God and from becoming a Christian. Say, praise the Lord. And the Bible says, the results is, Paul looks at him. At that time, his name is Saul still. Okay? He's trying to turn the deputy from the faith. Say, the faith. The faith is Christianity. The faith is what the Christians believe. He's trying to turn this governor away from believing the doctrine or the Word of God that's preached concerning Christianity. He's trying to turn him away from the faith. Say, the faith. And so then Saul, who is also called Paul, Amen. Saul had two names, Hebrew name Saul, Paul his Roman name. Because he's fixing to go into Gentile territory and preach the gospel to Gentiles, he takes on his Roman name instead of his Hebrew name. The Roman name Paul means little. So he wants to stay little in his own eyes. And he wants people, when they say, you're Paul, uh, for them to, in their eyes, see him as just something that's little. Okay? Okay, say amen. So now, he's going to be called Paul in the word of the Lord. Up to this point, he's been known as Saul of Tarsus. Verse 9, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. He stares this man down. He locks eyes with them. Keep it in mind that this bar Jesus, this false prophet, this magician, um, this sleight of hand phony fake is trying to hinder this man from hearing the word of God, trying to hinder him from coming to the faith. And so Paul just gets tired of dealing with him. The Holy Ghost in Paul. Paul looks at him and gives him a, a stare, locks eyes with that man. And here's what Paul says to Elimus or bar Jesus. He said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Paul says, you are a son or a child of the devil. You have the influence of Satan 
upon your life. You are being influenced by the devil. Do you catch what I'm trying to show you here? So you say, well, I'm, how am I a child of the devil? If you are yielding to the influence of the devil, like this man, then you are seen as a child of the devil. Paul said, you're a child of the devil. Say amen. Because you have yielded yourself to the influence of the devil. The spirit of the devil is working on and through this man. Say praise the Lord. Now watch this. This is amazing. What you have to realize is that he's gone over into Cyprus, him and Barnabas and John Mark with him and Titus, I believe. Uh, but according to the text, we'll just say with John Mark, Barnabas and Saul. And this word is going forth to Sergius Paulus this Roman proconsul here, this governor, and this court jester, this court clown who is under the influence of the devil keeps interrupting and tries to hinder the Word of God being taught and hinder this man from coming in the truth. So Paul, full of the Holy Ghost, says, you are you're full of mischief, right? You are a child of the devil. You're under the influence of the devil. Wow, this is all going on right in front of Sergius Paulus. Okay? Now, the Scripture says, he says, you are not only a child of the devil, but you're an enemy of all righteousness. You are an enemy of what is right. You are trying to stand up and silence the Word of God that's coming from the mouth of these apostles. You are trying to silence them because you're uh, being used by the devil and you're always uh, doing or standing against what's right. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. You can tell when somebody is a child of the devil because they're always taking a stand against the Word. They're always taking a stand against what's right. They're always fighting for what is wrong. If you've got a person like in the, that in the church, you've got somebody who's a child of the devil. Because they're always going to fight what is right. They're always going to try to get in the way and try to interrupt what God is doing and trying to hinder from somebody coming into the church or coming into salvation. Say amen. Now, whoa, hello, 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 church. Can you believe that Paul would talk to this man like that? Yeah. He said, You're full of subtlety. You're a tricker. You're a phony. You're a fake. You're fraud. A slide of hand, you're mischief, you're a child of you're an enemy of all righteousness, all that's right. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? You're always trying to change the right ways of the Lord. You're under the influence of the devil, you're a child of the devil, and you're trying to hinder what God is doing here. Y'all with me so far? This is coming out of the Apostle Paul's mouth. This Paulus, this governor, has never seen anything like it. You understand? Where a man is confronting the spirit of Satan that is influencing this individual called Bar Jesus or the Son of Jesus. Say amen. amen. The Bible tells us, Paul's filled with the Holy Ghost when he's dealing with him. Now verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Say, the hand of the Lord. All the way through this, we've got the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. This is the one God of the Bible. 
the hand of the Lord. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. Kyrios. He's Kyrios. He is the Lord. He is the God of Israel. He says, the hand of the Lord is upon you, which means God's omnipotent power is on you right now. God's hand is coming on you to punish you right now. Oh, hello, somebody. And he says, God's hand is on you right now. His omnipotent power is upon you right now. And you will be blinded for a season. For a season. Now listen to me, church. Paul better be right. You understand what I'm saying? He better be hearing from God when he says, you're a child of the devil. You always seek to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Amen. Say amen. amen. You always, uh, as the scripture says here in the text, Jesus' name help me. He says, you're an enemy of all that is righteous. And then when Paul says, the hand of God is on you right now, he better be right that the hand of God is on that man right now. And he better be really hearing from God when he says, you're going to be blind for a season. Because if it does not come to pass, you hear what I'm telling you? If it doesn't happen the way Paul says it's going to happen, they better pack their bags and head back to Antioch. You hear what I'm telling you? If what Paul says does not come to pass, pack your bags and go back home. Okay? Now what? Put yourself in this position. If you were there in the court of this man and this was all going on and the Lord began to speak through you revealing what He was about, uncovering Him, who He was, what He was about, and then all of a sudden God says, alright, through Paul, my hand is on this man. He's going to be blind. You... Put yourself in that position. You better know you're hearing from God. Because what if it doesn't happen? You catching what I'm saying? It has to happen. They have to be hearing from God. Or they're packing their bags and they're going home. So the Bible says as he pronounces this punishment, this judgment from God, and that he'll be blind for a season, this Jewish false prophet who is a magician, a phony, and a person who is under the influence of Satan, a child of the devil. This man is blinded for a season. He's a type of Israel who has the veil over their eyes, who has rejected the word of salvation. You with me so far? The Bible tells us, now remember, he's a Jew. He's blinded. And so he says, Behold the hand of the Lord, verse 11, is upon thee. Thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a what? Season. Remember when Paul was rejecting the gospel, rejecting the word of the Lord, he was blinded by the glory of God, but for a different purpose. This guy's blinded to stop his evil influence. This guy's blinded to stop his hindering of the Word of God going to this man. Say, praise the Lord. This is a miracle in reverse. This is a miracle, a negative miracle. Say, a negative miracle. If Jesus can open blind eyes, He can also shut the eyes that can see. Would Jesus do that? Well, in charismatic America... 
So you got to get in your Bible. I will tell you, yes, he would. Say amen. He would do the same thing. And I don't have time to get into things. There's a lot of things that happened over in Ethiopia. People tried to hinder the gospel, trying to hinder, and they burned churches down over there in Ethiopia. Read the, the book called Unseen Hand about Tekla Miriam. And, and God literally, at some point, there were people that caught on fire. The enemies of the gospel caught on fire. They had to wrap them in, in uh, material just to be able to carry them to the grave. Okay? Over in Ethiopia. So he still does, God still does these kinds of things today. So anyway, at this point, the hand of the Lord comes on him and we have a miracle in reverse. We have a negative miracle. A man who is able to see is not able to see but is blind. Correct? The scripture tells us, and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Just like the apostle said. Now watch this. At this point, he's no longer Saul, it's Paul. At this point, it's no longer going to be Barnabas and Saul. It's going to be Paul and Barnabas. Paul, who has come into the Lord after Barnabas, becomes the leader now of the group. Barnabas sees this happening, sees Paul, how God's using Paul. Uh, how he's using Paul to speak, how he's using Paul to do the works of God here. When Barnabas sees that, he says, basically, more power to you, Paul. Go for it. I'll follow you. Go at it. Okay? I'll let you be the number one man because God is pointing His finger at you and I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to let you become number one man, and I'm willing to play second fiddle because I see the finger of God pointed at you, Paul, so you take the lead. This man, Barnabas, was a big man. He was a great man. To say, alright, Paul, you can take the forefront now, and it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, it's Paul and Barnabas. Say praise the Lord. He's a great man. A great man. You know, you can see people... What happened to the thing here? It's on a timer. Okay. You need this? You need this? Okay. You can see people who have gone through great things in order to serve the Lord, and you have to say in their mind, that's a great man. I don't know if I could have taken what he's taken. Or I don't know if I could take what she's taken. That's a great man. But we see this situation where Paul is coming to the forefront because of how he's used by God. And Barnabas is willing to play second fiddle. He's a great man. Say praise the Lord. And so as we go through here then, we will see at that point the deputy, Sergius Paulus here in Cyprus, believes he becomes a believer. But he did not become a believer because he saw the sorcerer blinded. Catch that. The sorcerer was blinded because he was an enemy of God. The sorcerer was blinded because he was under the influence of the devil. The sorcerer was blinded because he was trying to hinder the Word of God. This man, Sergius Paulus, became a believer because he heard the Word of the Lord. 
not because he saw that miracle there in reverse, but because he heard the word of the Lord. So what Paul did is he get that guy out of the way that was hindering the word of God. Once we got the hindrance of the word of God out of the way, then the word of God went forth and the man believed the word of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, praise his holy name. I said praise his holy name. I will tell you today that if we can get uh, the hindrance of the, to the word of God out of the way, there will be people that will come into the kingdom because they will hear the word of God. But you got to get the hindrances out of the way. Give the Lord some praise in the house. So, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, if it, at any time you need to leave, uh, you go ahead, alright? I don't have a problem with that. But I'm going to keep preaching if it's me all by myself. I think God will be here with me. But I know I mean anyway. Then the deputy, verse 12, saw, when he saw what was done, he believed being astonished at what? The doctrine of the Lord. What made him astonished was not uh, the man getting blind. What made him astonished was the doctrine of the Lord. This is God's teaching. This is God's word. This is what brought him into the church. Say amen. amen. And so now we have the first Gentile convert in the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. His name is Sergius Paulus. This man ruled 46 to 49 A.D. If the church started in 30 A.D., which is where I believe it has to start, then what you have is a, a, a proper... Uh, time frame of the Apostle Paul. It's been about 17 years since Paul was saved that now he comes on the scene to fulfill his call to the Gentiles. And so history says that Paul, Sergius Paulus in Cyprus reigned 46 to 49 AD. 49. The, are y'all with me right now? And so this is a proper time frame. We're about uh, 18, 19 years out from Pentecost at this point if the church started in 30 A.D. So these are how you can mark time in the book of Acts. So now this man is the first convert in the uh, uh, missionary, first missionary tour of the apostle. His name is Paul as well. Say praise the Lord. Okay. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. So now they leave Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Am I moving too fast for you? They move from Cyprus here. They, can't, uh, they sail over to Perga in Pamphylia. Are you all with me? They have now landed in Asia Minor properly. Okay? Asia Minor. The Bible tells us when they get there, there in Pergama, in Pamphylia, John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. That's why I said we got to put John on the back burner for just a minute. John said, I want to help. Can I go? Can I go? I want to go. But John did not know what he was about to face. He did not know what he was asking for when he said, I want to go. Are y'all here with me right now? He was not ready for what he was fixing to experience. Say praise the Lord. What he's seen happen with Paul and uh, this 
sorcerer, uh, shook him up just a little bit. Are y'all with me here now? That shook him up just a little bit. And he's not used to dealing with Gentile people anyway because he's a Jerusalem Jew. He's from Jerusalem. And so now he's seen this and he sees these very strange Gentiles and with their very strange ways and strange methods. Are y'all eating strange food, dressed in strange ways? It, it, it doesn't fit with John Mark. Okay, I'm just trying to give... I'm not... This is not coming out of the Bible. I'm just giving you an idea of what maybe he saw at that time. And so at that point, the Bible says, John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So what he saw, what he experienced already is already starting to shake him up. Maybe he's getting a little seasick, you know. He thought he wanted to help, but now he's finding out. Hmm, I don't know if I really want to do this or not. And not only that, but when he gets over there in Perga, Pamphylia, the, the mountains of Tarsus run through there. I don't know if you can see it or not. But right here, Tarsus, by the way, this is the old stomping grounds of Paul. This is the birthplace of Paul, Tarsus. And these are the Tarsus Mountains right here. Okay? Say the Tarsus Mountains. And so in order for them to travel to where they're going to go up into the Galatian area, they're going to have to cross through those Tarsus Mountains. And those mountains are known to have pirates and bandits and thieves all around all the time. Now by the way, Timothy says that Paul is ill. Ill. He's sick in his body. No doubt he could have used John Mark to help him, to minister to him, to heat the water up at the fireplace, to, to cook the food, if you will. Do you see what I'm saying here? He was ill. Okay. Uh, no, it's Galatians that says that. Galatians, I believe it says that. Galatians 4. Uh, somebody get Galatians 4.13 and see if I'm correct on that. Anyway, to make a long story short, the Bible says, for whatever reason, whether it be the terrain of the mountains or what he has seen and experienced in this missionary tour. And John Mark uh, departs, it says, from them returning to Jerusalem. He doesn't even go back to Antioch. He goes back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Mama. I don't know if it's what he saw. I don't know if he got seasick. I don't know if this encounter with the sorcerer. I don't know if the mountains that they were going to have to pass through with the bandits and pirates, etc. that were there, that danger that was there turned his heart. I don't know if he just looked at Paul and Barnabas and says, uh, I'm worried about Mama. I wonder how Mama's doing back there in Jerusalem. Maybe I need to go back. Maybe I need to go check on Mama, see how she's doing. For whatever reason, he departs from them, returning back to Mama, back to Jerusalem. Not even, he didn't even go to Antioch. And the word depart here, literally, it's a heavy word. It's used two times in the New Testament. It literally means to abandon. So John Mark, the one who says, can I, can I, can I go? I want to help, I want to help, I want to help. Now abandons them. Abandons Paul when he's ill. Is that right in Galatians 4.13? Brother Eloy, read it for me, please. Uh, 
All right, at the first, he's talking to the Galatians. We're fixing to go into Galatian territory. He said he was ill, so he preached the gospel to them at the first. So it is Galatians 4.13. Thank you, brother. So what we have here is that Paul is ill. He can use the help. He's sick in his body. But all of a sudden, this young boy, young man, I will say, gets homesick and he abandons them. He forsakes Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas would have gotten together with him, uh, knowing Barnabas. And John Mark, oh, you're going home? Okay. Well, let me pray for you and I'll send you on your way. And, and no doubt Barnabas being, uh, Barnabas shook his nephew's hand, prayed for him, says, all right, have a safe trip home. Paul would not even acknowledge him. I can prove it by the Word of God because when we get into the next missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him and Paul would have nothing to do with it because John Mark has abandoned them in the past. Paul says, I'm not taking a chance on that again, ever again. And it caused a split. It caused a division. And Barnabas took John Mark and Paul takes Silas. So John Mark, by his actions, eventually is going to cause the splitting up of Barnabas and Paul. So he is played the coward here. He is a person who, and, and I, how you know that? Because of the wording here, departing means he's forsaken them. He has abandoned them. Now, I can understand, you know, Barnabas being Uncle Barnabas and, you know, wanting to take John Mark the next time. And I can also understand the Apostle Paul. I can, I can understand where Paul was not wanting to take him in the future because of the way he's handled this situation. Maybe, Maybe it is that John Mark has noticed the shift in the leadership. That instead of Barnabas being number one man, now Paul is number one man. And I want you to know something. Paul had a very, he's a very loving man, but Paul was a very hard man at times. He was a very strong, strong apostle. And so possibly with the shifting of leadership from Barnabas, his uncle, to the Apostle Paul, John Mark just cannot take the leadership of the Apostle Paul. Maybe Paul fasted too much. Okay? Maybe, maybe Paul had the kind of faith he just believed, he believed God for things that you and I could take care of on our own. That's just kind of faith that Paul was. Alright? He's just that kind of an apostle. So that's possibly the reason. But anyway, John Mark goes back home and he forsakes them. He abandons them. And that's where we leave it until in the future we'll come back and like Say praise the Lord. See, a lot of times uh, you can get in and think, oh, I can do that. I want to do that. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I want to help him? Well, that's good and wonderful, but you a lot of times do not realize what you're going to face when you do that. And you might end up going back home to mama. You have to be careful with that. I will say to any of you here that feel a call to pastor a church uh, or to be a missionary, be careful before you go out there because you're going to face it. You are going to suffer beyond your comprehension. What you think in your mind, you, you think that you can handle, that you can overcome, that you can withstand, that you can deal with, multiply that by ten. It's going to be ten times harder than you ever thought in your mind. Okay? 
And you'll say, well, I think I could handle it. They can carry me out by the heels out of the church. Uh, I'll die doing the work of God. Let me tell you something. There's something more difficult to handle than physical death. And that's to die every day of your life. Dealing with abandonment and rejection. And all these things that come along with the ministry. So you have to be careful before you go out there, even though you think, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. Can I, can I, can I help, 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 help? Or whatever, you better be ready because you're going to face things that you're not ready, that you didn't know was there. And that's what happened to John Mark. He went back home to Mama. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And so I just tell you, if you're called a pastor, or go to the mission field or whatever, uh, praise the Lord, we love you. But after a year, don't say, can I come back, Pastor? What are we going to do with your church? What are we going to do with your church? How are we going to handle that? Okay? What about the people you've been pastoring for the last, you know, 12 months? What are we going to do about them? How are we going to handle that? You understand what I'm trying to say? So you've got to be absolutely sure that when you get in this thing, man, you're going all the way in. And the only way thing that's going to move you is God. And when you feel like running home to Mama or go home and check on Mama, uh, no, no, God's called me to do this. And I've got to endure the hardships. Amen. And I assure you that Paul could have used his help in those mountains of Tarsus. Use his help to cook. Use his help. You understand what I'm saying? Say, praise the Lord. All right. Man, I spent too much time on the first part of that, you know? You know what I'm talking about. We're talking about love. (laughs) But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and sat down. So now they have moved from Perga down here in the uh, lower part of the lower part of uh, Asia Minor. And they've moved up into Antioch of Pisidia. Notice, Antioch of Syria over here, Antioch of Pisidia. You are now in Galatian territory. It is Asia Minor, but it's Galatian territory. Say praise the Lord. And when they get over there in Galatian territory, the Bible says they had departed from Perga. They came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And what did they do? They sat down. This is the approach of the Apostle Paul. Going to a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, in these Gentile lands first. The message is going, the gospel is going to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Jew first, then the Gentile. That's the process. So he goes into the synagogue of the Jews. Now remember, the Jews are under the authority of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Okay? And here comes this rabbi, the Apostle Paul, who's changed his name from Saul to Paul now. So there's a break here. But he's still a rabbi. He's still a Jew. And he walks into the synagogue there. And remember, there's going to be God-fearers there, Gentiles who have not converted to Judaism yet. They haven't been circumcised. They have not been immersed. They're in the church. They're called God-fearers. There's proselytes that are there. These are Gentiles who have converted to Judaism. They are circumcised. They've been immersed. And they keep the regulation rules of the Jewish faith. They're called proselytes. And then you have Jews as a whole. Sitting in the synagogue... And here comes this rabbi. And he walks in the back of the synagogue in Pisidia, Antioch. 
there is a special seat set for rabbis who are strangers to the synagogue. It's called the seat of the stranger. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> for any rabbi that comes in that's a guest that's a stranger, he sits in the seat of the stranger. <laughs> All right? And the person in charge of the service, I don't have time to get into what the practices went through. I mean, they would have read some from the, from the, um, the Pentateuch. They'd have read some from the Psalms, you know, they would have read some from the prophets and, and then they would, after that, they would then preach after that, you know, and they would pronounce benedictions and blessings, etc. I believe there's 13 of them. But anyway, after all of that, there would be a little time of preaching. And here's this stranger sitting in the back of the church, a rabbi, his name's Paul. And if they chose to, they could ask that rabbi sitting in the stranger's seat to come and stand behind the podium and preach or exhort the synagogue. And so they, hey Paul, you, you, you have anything you'd like to say today? And here comes the Apostle Paul. And the Bible tells us, after sitting down, after reading the law, the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, said to them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand. He's a good preacher. He's using his hands. He's beckoning with his hands. You've got to get the hand going. You know how I know somebody's called to preach? If they just stand here like this, they're not called to preach. If they're called to preach, they're going to get the hand moving. Boy, they're going to be pointing, you know. You know, every once in a while I get that up there like that. That's what Paul does. Okay, so he gets anointed, man. He gets the hands of moving. Boy, he's, whoo, hallelujah. He's really preaching right here, right? Amen. I'm just having fun. It's all right to have fun. So he's beckoning with the hand, said, Men of Israel and you that fear God, give audience. And then he goes on, and I'm not going to read every verse, but he gives the history of the nation of Israel. Watch this. This is the first message coming from the mouth of the Apostle Paul that's recorded in the book of Acts. What is he going to preach? This is the first time you're going to hear him preach. And he preaches just like Peter on the day of Pentecost to the Jews. And he preached just like Stephen, who he gave his voice to stone to death. With a little distinction, a little difference, but not much different from what Peter said in Acts 2 and not much different from what Stephen said in Acts 6. Wow. He doesn't mention what Steve, he doesn't talk uh, a couple of things that Stephen said about, he talked about the patriarchs, he talked about Moses. Paul didn't bring that up. And there's a little distinction because he's talking about the guidance of God and God's election of Israel all the way to Jesus the Messiah at this point. My, what I'm trying to tell you is he's preaching the same thing Peter preached, the same thing that Stephen preached. He got the same message, alright? With a little distinction. And he's standing up there and he's preaching. This is the first message we hear Paul preaching. And he talks about the history of Israel. How God elected them as a people. God chose them to be the chosen people. He talked about... Are y'all with me here? I can read some of the verses. God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. Look at that. Chose them. Chose them. They're the elect. He exalted them. He made them great. He cared for them. 
He led them. He guided them sovereignly after making them great. He cared for them in the wilderness. He put up with their moodiness in the wilderness. He cared for them like a nurse cares for somebody. Are y'all with me right now? You, you have time. You read it for yourself. He said, though people are moody people. He said, but God cared for them even in their moody situations. He says, God raised up judges, raised up deliverers, raised up saviors for them. Gave them a king, you know. Made them a kingdom, etc. Saul was a king for 40 years. Then he says, David, God's chosen one. David, David, the son of David is here. His name's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the promise given to David. David is dead. His body decayed. But Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he wasn't, he didn't see decay, said Paul. Paul says his body did not decay like David. David's body's dead. It decayed. But the son of David, Jesus Christ, his body saw no corruption. It did not decay in that sepulcher. God raised that body from the dead. He's the chosen one. He's the son of David. David did not fulfill that prophecy in Psalm 2 ultimately, but Jesus fulfilled that Psalm 2 prophecy. This day have I begotten thee. He, God raised him from the dead. He is the rightful king to the throne of David. He is David's greater son, the resurrected Messiah, the true king of Israel. All the way God has cared for you. God elected you. God took care of you. God exalted you. God God made you great. God found a way to send savers and deliverers for you. God took care of you when you were moody. God gave you David. But David was not the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus, His Son, is the fulfillment of the prophecy. God raised Jesus from the dead. Y'all with me? Alright, so this is the message He's preaching basically to them as you read it. Now, the Bible tells us, wow, Verse 23, of this man's seed, David, hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior Jesus. So we're taking all the way through the history of Israel like Stephen did. Except he doesn't mention the patriarchs and Moses in his preaching. Moses doesn't. Takes you all the way to David and says, the son of David has come. You killed him. He was buried. You did not know when He came who He was. Read it for yourself, it's there. He said, when He came, those Jerusalemite Jews did not recognize Him. They didn't know who He was. They killed Him, but God raised Him from the dead. He said, they read the prophets, but they did not hear the voice of the prophets. When they read the prophets, they didn't understand what the prophets were saying. And so when Jesus came, because they didn't understand what the prophets were saying, they did not recognize Him. And Paul is telling these Jews in that synagogue that He is the Messiah, the Son of David, the Christ of God. And that God has raised Him up from the dead. 
He's the chosen one. He's the sent one. He's the one the prophets wrote about and talked about. He's the one that you were looking for. But you took and you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Wow. The leaders of Jerusalem, they read the prophets but didn't understand the prophets. And so, he said, If this man's seed hath God according to His promise raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. He's the Savior. When John had first preached before His coming, he goes to John. John's fame reached all the way over to this area. They knew about John. They knew about John in Ephesus. They knew about John over here. This is Galatia. Galatian territory. Alright, he's trying to reach the Jews here. He said, John came preaching a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Say, a baptism of repentance. A baptism that reveals there's been a change of mind in them. Baptism of repentance. A baptism, my mind's changed. I'm changing my ways. I'm repenting. I'm turning to God. Alright, you're with me so far. But he says, as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to lose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, there's the God fears, to you is this word of this salvation, this word of this salvation, this word of this salvation sins. The missionary tours of Paul, this word of this salvation is sent. Not only to you Jews, but to the God fears that are here. Verse 27, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew not Him, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. It was in your Old Testament prophets. It was, it was revealed to them. And because you didn't hear what they were saying, you didn't understand what you were reading, you didn't recognize Him. And you fulfilled them by what? Condemning Him. And though they... <laughs> found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written in him, of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he, has, he was seen many... Okay, y'all, I've already covered these things. He was seen. There's witnesses. Verse 32. We declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. So he deals with Israel of the past and he deals with Israel contemporary. He says, it's fulfilled in your day. To us. In our day. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, and that He hath raised up Jesus again, as it also is written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee? And as concerning that He raised Him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, He said on the wise, this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, He saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Okay, we covered this, right? For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on his sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Bodily raised from the dead. No decay. Verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you for the forgiveness of sins. Watch this. It's not the temple. You're not going to need the temple anymore. You're not going to need circumcision anymore. Hear me today. Whew, give God praise. You're not going to need the regulations of the law. 
as far as ceremonial purification. Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. The law cannot bring forgiveness of sins. The law condemns you. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And through this man it's preached of what? The forgiveness of sins. He's the way you can get your sins forgiven. He's the way you can be justified, made right with God, in right standing with God. It's Jesus Christ and His death, burial, resurrection from the dead. The finished work of Jesus is what brings forgiveness of sins to you. It's not keeping the letter of the law. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in your own good works. It's faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. Do you see it? Amen. Through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. And 39, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. He said you're going to find forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Remission of sins is going to come in His name. Acts 10.43 that's how you're going to get your sins remitted. And how you're going to be justified, not by the works of the law, not by your own good deeds, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh, give God praise in the house. Let me tell you something. The God-fearers in that synagogue that day are starting to get excited because they don't have to become a Jew in order to be saved. They can't hardly believe what they're hearing with their ears right now because this means they don't have to be circumcised and become a Jew in order to be saved. Oh, they're getting excited right now. Say amen. And the proselytes, they're getting pretty excited now too. Oh, wow. You mean we don't have, yeah, we don't have to keep all the regulations of the law. Oh, yeah, great. Praise the Lord. Something new has come. Say amen. The Gentiles are hearing the word of this salvation. This is something that is unheard of. That you would not have to become a Jew in order to be saved. That even though Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, He does not require you to become a Jew in order to save you. You don't have to be circumcised. Isn't that good? I mean, so I praise the Lord for that. Now you've got to hold on. You've got to hang on here with me. So the Bible tells us, look at it. So we have forgiveness of sins through Him. We're justified by Him, made right in right standing with Him, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I'll read it again. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That does not mean that the law of Moses could bring you pardon for some things and now the New Testament time you're in, what the law could not bring forgiveness for, now the New Testament provides forgiveness for. That's not what that means. Some people take that to mean, well, in the Old Testament you could not be forgiven for adultery and murder. But in the New Testament you can. That's not what it's talking about. It's simply telling you that the purpose of the law when God gave the law was not to justify you. But now faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Come on, somebody. Faith in His finished work brings forgiveness of sins. Say amen. We know how that happens. 
We know how that happens according to Acts 10. We know how the Gentiles come into the kingdom, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's how the Gentiles come into the kingdom. We know how that happens. But that's not a work of the law. That's a work of grace. Say praise the Lord. What he's saying is that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law. The law was never given to justify man. Never. It is not saying there's some things that you could get forgiveness for in the Old Testament that you couldn't and some that you couldn't, but now in grace you can get forgiveness for those things you couldn't get forgiven for in the Old Testament. Now you can get forgiven for it. That's not what it's saying. The law was never given to justify man. It condemns you. Say amen. It condemns you. It condemned me. It was pointing me to my need for a Savior. Okay? We'll get into that in a little bit. Or not, not in a little bit, next week. Okay, praise the Lord, church. I know you're getting tired, but amen. I know, I'm aware. So now, he preached forgiveness of sins, and he preached justification, just like he preaches in Galatians and Romans. That is the message of the Apostle Paul in Galatians and Romans. And when I get to the 15th chapter, we see Pharisaical Christians coming over to Antioch, trying to bring that church in Antioch into an idea that they had to become Jews, Paul comes apart on them. Okay? He goes off on them. And we'll talk about that next, next week, God willing. Well, anyway, so now we find it through Jesus. We have the uh, forgiveness of sin and we are justified. Verse 40, Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of the prophets. Behold you despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. That's in the book of Habakkuk. He's basically saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to fulfill my purpose in the Gentiles. And nobody can stop it. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Praise Give God praise. And for those of you Jews that are hearing this message, that Jesus Christ by His finished work, death, burial, and resurrection, that by Him come the forgiveness of sins and justification, that by Him you can be saved. For those of you who reject this word, He said you will perish. You will disappear. The Jews cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody ever tell you that a Jew can be saved by the works of the law, that they don't have to believe in Jesus Christ and be born again of the water and the Spirit, that they're going to be saved anyway. According to this Bible, they will not be saved apart from Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is telling them. Salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ. It is in His finished work. That's how you receive forgiveness of sin. That's how you're justified. It's not by your own good works. You will perform good works after you're saved, but that does not save you. Your long skirts and long hair does not save you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Your refusal to observe pagan holidays does not save you. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection from the dead. And you're being born again in the water and the Spirit. That's what saves you. That's what justifies you. That's what brings forgiveness of sins. After that, then you begin to live sanctified. Holy unto God and obey His Word. But that does not save you. Say praise the Lord, church. <laughs> Woo, glory to the Lamb. 
So he's warning them here. Don't reject this word. You despisers, you wonder, you, you'll perish. Okay, verse 42. When the Gentiles were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. See, the Gentiles are excited about this message. Not having to become a Jew. Not having to be circumcised. Not having to become a proselyte to Judaism. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You don't need a temple. You don't need to bring a, sac a blood sacrifice. He is the temple. He is the sacrifice. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise. You don't have to observe. You don't have, you don't have to keep the Sabbath day. You don't have to become a Jew in order to be saved. Just be filled with the Spirit. Enter into the life of the Spirit. Be placed into the Messianic Kingdom by grace because you believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ and be born again in the Word of the Spirit. This is blowing the Gentiles' minds. This message of grace. Oh, praise God. So they want to hear it, right? And the Jews going out of the synagogue and amen. The Bible says, Now when the congregation has broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes fall upon Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So we did have some Jews and we did have some of those proselytes that were converted to Judaism and God-fearers, the Gentiles, God-fearers. They're following Paul. And they believe. And we know how they came in the kingdom. We don't have to have it recorded. We've seen it in Acts chapter 10. Correct? Say praise the Lord. And so Paul and Barnabas, notice Paul and Barnabas, Paul first, who's speaking to them, persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. Do you realize that the grace of God is also a word that means the Spirit of God? The grace of God, the uncreated grace of God, is the Spirit of God. The created grace of God is God's grace communicated to humanity. So when it talks about continuing the grace of God, he's making reference. You've been filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now continue in that grace that God has given you or communicated to you. Grace is God's enabling power. God has enabled you with His power to be saints. So the grace of God speaks of the Spirit and it speaks of communication of, of God's grace uh, to us. His in, in, enabling power. Grace of God is not just the unmerited favor of God. It is. But grace is God's enabling power. He's telling them continue in that. Continue in the grace of God. Continue in God's enabling power. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. You've been plunged into the Messianic King. You've been born again in the Holy Spirit. You've experienced salvation. Continue in what? Not the law of Moses, the grace of God. Wow. Miss Neat. And the next Sabbath day, they came almost the whole city together to, to hear the Word of God. Say, the whole city. Wow. Whole city? Almost. I like the hyperbole of, of, of the writer here, Luke. Almost the whole city. How are you going to get the whole city in a synagogue? Hyperbole. Okay, anyway. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, watch this. When the Jews, this is the unbelieving Jews, saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Who was it? Unbelieving Jews. 
Then Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Watch this. He says, okay, the word of God has gone forth. This message of grace and salvation in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins and justification by faith, right? This message has gone forth and we have some Jews and some proselytes and some God-fearers coming into the kingdom, correct? But then you have the unbelieving Jews who judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. You're judging me. No. When you reject the Word of God, you judge yourself. Did you catch that? Watch this. Okay. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, you reject the Word of God, right? You put it from you and judge yourselves. Unworthy. Okay? Of what? Everlasting life. So just being a Jew in a synagogue observing the law of Moses does not save you. When they rejected the, this gospel of grace, this message of salvation through Jesus Christ, when they did that, they judged themselves unworthy of salvation. And so Paul says, we turn from you and we go to the Gentiles. They will receive it. Did you catch that? See, all right, when you bring the Word of God and somebody rejects the Word of God and they might even look at you and say, you're judging me. If they reject that Word, they have judged themselves. If they reject that Word, then you turn and you go to somebody else who will hear it. Because this Gospel is a door. And Paul will later make reference to it. A door. It is a door and a door has two sides to it. There's an inside and an outside of the door. The inside shuts the believer in by faith. The outside of the door shuts the unbeliever outside in unbelief. So what's happening here, when the Word of God goes forth, it's a door. And it's shutting the believer in and shutting the unbeliever out. It still does that today. When this Word goes forth, if you receive it, if you believe it, if you experience it, you obey it, it will shut you into the kingdom of God. If you reject it, it shuts you out. Your faith shuts you in. Your unbelief shuts you out. There's two sides to the door. And so these unbelieving Jews... They were being shut out of the door of salvation by rejecting the Word of God. And they were judging themselves unworthy Amen. of what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. That's serious. So he said, Lord, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, Who commanded them? The Lord. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have uh, set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. 
They knew that. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. These Gentiles are excited. They're glad. They don't have to become a Jew. They're going to be saved by grace. If they repent of their sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord and filled with the Holy Ghost, they'll be plunged into the Messianic kingdom without having to become a Jew, without having to be, be circumcised. They're not going to have to worry about going to the temple. They're not going to have to worry about bringing a sacrifice. They don't have to keep the Sabbath day. Come on, somebody. They don't have to keep the feast. And I'm going to prove it to you when we get in the 15th chapter of Acts. Boy, you can see how that would be appealing to Gentiles. This will become a major debate in the early church when these Gentiles come to the church should they become Jews in order to be saved. And, and this is showing us they don't have to. Okay? Praise the Lord. Do you see Paul telling them here in this passage? Now, okay, that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and you're in the kingdom. You're justified and forgiven uh, by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now you need to go up to the temple and bring you a sacrifice and you need to keep the Sabbath day and you need to keep all the festivals and you need to be circumcised. you see Paul telling them that? He doesn't tell them that. But in that early church, Pharisaical Christians will begin to try to get a hold of them in Galatia. Okay? And there will be a major thunderstorm hit the church after this first missionary journey. Okay? Say praise the Lord. So the Gentiles of Galatia, they're excited. We're in Galatian territory. That's why the Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians to confront Pharisaical Christians who are telling them, the Gentiles, you have to become a Jew in order to be saved. Okay? Say praise the Lord. We'll cover that. The Gentiles of Galatia are coming in. And I'm going to keep preaching because I feel an unction. I know you're tired, but amen. You, you can sit there and watch TV 24 hours a day, so you can hear the Word of God. Galatians. You know who they are? They're a European descent. These people over here, the Gentiles in this area, Tarsus right here, Paul was born, over here in the city of Antioch, Galatian territory. They are of European descent. They are Celtic. Celtic Gauls. G-A-U-L. Celtic Gauls. Their stock is rooted in the people of France in Europe. Okay? They're a lot like Americans. Their stock is from European France. Celtic Gauls who made their way into this part of the world. Real quick, let me tell you what they're like. They're oriental blondes of European descent. Caesar said this about them. Caesar said they're fickle. Say fickle. Say fickle. And always looking for change. Fond of change. Fickle and fond of change. Sound like Americans, don't they? Fickle and fond of change. Say amen. Another writer in those days said this about him. Says they are unconstant. They're not constant. But they are, are super intelligent. Okay? And they love the show. They love the show. 
So you took, take those two writers, Caesar and the other writer of his time, you find out they are, they are fickle, they love change, or they're fond of change, they are unconstant people, they love the show, say praise the Lord, and what else? Very intelligent. Oriental blondes. Say praise the Lord. <laughs> That's who the message is being preached to right here. America is like that. Fickle. One minute, listen, they'll make a God out of you one day and kill you the next. Americans are like that. They'll be for one president, you know, one political leader one day and hating him the next. Always changing. American church, same way. They'll like a pastor for a while and they'll run off and go to another pastor after they don't like him for a while. They're fickle. They're unconstant. They love the show. Intelligent, yes. Okay, say amen. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm almost done in the next two hours. But that's who's coming to the church. These gall Celtics. Now, amen. So they're excited. They glorify the Word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believe, 48, you see? And the Word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Put them out of Antioch, Pisidia. Got these wealthy women, these devout and honorable women, chief men of the city, persecuted them, expelled them. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. They shook the dust off. What that means is we separate ourselves from you. We remove our influence from you. Seeing that you count yourself or judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. That's basically what happens when you walk, when you kick the dust off your feet. You ever see somebody walk to your house and uh, somebody's got the Word of God and they bring the Word of God and you reject it and you see them do that outside your front door? No, 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 what they're saying. They're saying, we were no, we are removing ourselves and our influence from your life. They removed their self, their influence. Okay. They shook off the dust of their feet again against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. They're excited about the revival that just took place in Antioch of Pisidia in the Galatian territory. Gentiles coming in the church, right? And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue. And I know some of you are going, what did he just do? Yeah, I went to the next chapter. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue. Here we go, we're the Jews. And they spake the, the great, look at this, spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. So now in Iconium, they've traveled over here, look, from the city Antioch to Iconium, right there. Iconium. You see Iconium? Galatian territory. The Jews and Gentiles, many of them were believing. Verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. A long time before abode they speaking boldly in, boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. There was a division that came when the gospel was preached. Some stood with the apostles, some didn't. 
And there was, there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. And when they found that out, what did they do? They left Iconium and they went to Lystra. Right down here, Lystra. Say amen. They were aware of it and fled into Lystra and the Derby, cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now where? In Lystra and Derby, correct? They preached the gospel there. And there sat a certain man of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Peter speak, who steadfastly beholding him, heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand up right on my feet, and he leaped and walked. So just like Peter, we saw a lame man healed in Peter's ministry, we see a lame man healed in Paul's ministry. He stands up, he's leaping, he's healed, right? Say amen. amen. Beautiful. When the people saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted their voice, saying in the speech of the Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us like in the likeness of men. In their history, at one time, they believed that Zeus and Hermes or Jupiter and Mercury had come down in bodily form. And that when they came to their city, they went, Zeus and Mercury, went into homes to get food and the people of the city were not hospitable to them. Only some poor farmer was hospitable to them. And... As a result, in their history, they said Zeus and Hermes caused a flood to hit those that did not give them food and bless the old farmer. That was in their history. And now Paul and Barnabas are on the scene and we got a lame man that's been healed and they don't want to miss this opportunity now because they believe in their history that Zeus and, and Hermes had come down or Jupiter and Mercury had come down and they were not hospitable to them and a great flood came and wiped out those that did not give them food and that they blessed. You understand what I'm telling you? So we're not going to miss our opportunity now. And they believe the gods have come down to them in human form in Paul and Barnabas. And they said, Barnabas is Zeus or Jupiter, the chief among the so-called Greek pantheon. And Paul is Mercury or Hermes, from which you get the word, the word hermeneutics. Hermes was believed to be the god of speech and the god of interpretation. So because they, when they heard Paul speak, he said, he sounds like Hermes, the god of speaking. And Barnabas he looks like Jupiter, the head god of the pantheon of Greece. And so now here comes out from outside the city, the priest of Jupiter come down. They want to bring sacrifices to these men. They want to worship them as a god. Gods have come down in human form. You know. And Paul and Barnabas run out, tear their clothes. We're just men. We're not gods. We're just men. But let us tell, tell you about the true God. Zeus or Jupiter or Mercury and Hermes, they're not true gods. The one true God of the Bible is the one we'll declare to you. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the one that sends rain to you. He's the one that gives you food for your belly. He's the one that gladdens your heart. He's the one that we're preaching to you about. He's left a trace of His deity throughout history by providing for His creation. This is the God we're preaching to you. Not these 
so-called gods that are not God. We're preaching you the true God. Notice the difference. He didn't talk about the history of the Jews. He preached these Gentiles the need for the one true God who's the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who feeds you, the one who takes care of you, the one who is the true God, not these other false gods here, the one who's allowed you through history to go your way, but now He's no longer going to do that. He's calling you to Himself. Are y'all with me? He's the true God. And that's the one we're preaching. And we're not them, He's they're saying. We're not Him. We're not Him. We're just men. Say amen. So one minute they want to worship. These are the Galatians. I want to worship Him one day. Get your eyes off of men, says Paul. We're just His ambassadors to declare to you the one true God. Don't put your eyes on men. Put your eyes on God. I tell you this morning, don't put your eyes on men. Put your eyes on God. There's some people today will say, well, I don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Let me tell you something. You've got your eyes on men. Get your eyes on God. It's not the hypocrite that you're going to face on judgment day. It's this one true God who's the creator of the heavens and the earth that you're going to face someday. Not some man. You mean to tell me you're not going to go to church because the church has hypocrites in it? You're not going to face the hypocrites on Judgment Day. You're going to face God Almighty on Judgment Day. Get your eyes off of men and get your eyes on God Almighty and hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that's going to judge you. Say amen. You can read all this. I don't have time to read it all to you. Ooh. Verse 7, Nevertheless, He left not Himself without witness in that he, hath, he did good and gave us, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He's a good God. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not sacrificed unto them. He's trying to get their eyes off of men, turn it to God. There came thither certain Jews from... Can I tell you something? You know this. On Judgment Day, you're not going to stand with your girlfriend. In fact, you're not going to stand in front of your girlfriend. She's not going to be your judge or your boyfriend, either one. It'll be God Almighty that you stands before. He's the one that's going to judge the quick and the dead. You hearing me? I'm not your God. I'm your pastor. I am not your God. I don't want you worshiping me. You don't, but I don't want you to. I don't get your eyes off of me. Get your eyes on God Almighty. He's the one that you will have to reckon with. You either be inside the door or you will be outside of the door based on what you do with the Word of God that you hear preached from this pulpit. Too many people today have their eyes on men. They're fickle. They're unconstant. They love the show. They'll change it. Watch this. Look at this. Let's see what happens. They want to make them a God one minute. And there came through the certain Jews of Antioch, verse 19, Niconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Look at that. You've got Jews coming from Antioch and Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium, stirring up trouble. Again, trouble, trouble, trouble. Everywhere they go, trouble, trouble, trouble follows them. They take Paul out and stone him. One minute they make him a God. The next minute, they kill him. That's, 
That is the fickle, unconstant condition of these people. Say amen. One minute making a God, next minute killing them. The same way Americans are today. I really believe this. I'm preaching this because I believe this. That we're a lot like the Gauls of Galatia. You take sports figures. Man, as long as they're doing good, America worships them. As soon as they start doing bad, That is the fickle, fickleness of man. That's the, and, and listen, and you carry that over political, economic, sports, whatever. That's the way of the American. We're unconstant. We're inconsistent. We're fickle. We're always, we love change. So when we get tired of this preacher, we'll run to another preacher. We get tired of this church, we'll run to another church. We are like the goals of Galatia. One minute they're making gods out of them, the next minute they're stoning them to death. The Gauls of Galatia. You understand what I'm telling you. So Paul, they drug him out of the city. Stone him. Be not deceived. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Apostle Paul gave his voice and consent to stoning Stephen. Now Paul is stoned the same way. Don't ever forget that. That will govern your life as a believer. I tell you, this happened to Paul after his conversion. But he's reaping what he sowed. This will help you to be very careful about how you handle the things of God, how you handle ministry, how you handle the Word of God, what you do with your life. Because you will reap what you sow according to the Word of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul, even after his conversion, reaps a stoning that he gave a consent to in the days of Stephen. Same thing. Same reaping. Say amen. God operates in that law for sure. They praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We'll play games with God. Because there's a reaping coming. So they gathered around him and left him for dead. They left him for dead. I believe he did die. Second Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul knew a man caught up in the third heaven. He said, in the body or the other body, I cannot tell. I just, he said, I knew a man that was caught up in the third heaven and saw unspeakable things. I believe that man was the Apostle Paul, caught up in the third heaven right here when he, I believe when he died right here, that's when he was caught up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can read about it. I believe that's when he was caught up. And while he was laying there, stoned to death, his body was there, but his spirit was walking on the streets of gold in the New Jerusalem. Woo! Hallelujah. No wonder when he came back, he said, I'm in a real conflict. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm real conflict, you know. And the conflict is to be here with you. Yeah. <laughs> Easy choice. Be here with you or to be there. <laughs> you know, he, friend, he was in that conflict because he, he, he had seen the heavenly city. He walked the heavenly streets even though his body was laying outside of the city of Lystra. He was in the city of New Jerusalem. 
In Timothy, he talks about his persecutions and his sufferings in Iconium and Derby and Lystra. He talks about his sufferings in Galatia. Heavy suffering. Stoned to death. For the Bible says, those believers, I believe they're out of Lystra, gathered around the Apostle Paul and began to pray. As they began to pray, the Apostle Paul got up out from underneath the rocks. His spirit came back from the New Jerusalem and entered back into that body. God raised him from the dead so he could fulfill his mission, his call in life. And Paul gets up, shakes off the dust, and walks right back in the city of Lystra to finish his message. So you're, you're an easy crowd. I know I've kept you for a while today. Hallelujah. And you haven't stoned me to death, but I'm finishing my message. He got back, he got up, walked right back in the city, brother Eloy. He right into Lystra again. You know, brother Dias put it this way. He said he believed that Paul was run wrong way. You know who run wrong way was? Run wrong way was a man who ran the wrong way. He's going to make a touchdown for the wrong team. And his, his teammates tackled him, you know, to keep him from making a touchdown, uh, for the wrong team. And they called him Run Wrong Way the rest of his life. And Brother Dice said, I believe the Apostle Paul was Run Wrong Way <laughs> at that moment. I mean, because he got back up, walked right back into Lister where they had just stoned him. And see how fickle they were? God one day kill him the next. That's why I love y'all so much. <laughs> you love me one day, you want to kill me the next. Praise the Lord. That's all right. Praise the Lord. It's a miracle way. Hallelujah. But he goes right back into listening. He preaches. And the Bible, now, are y'all with me here? And I'm almost done. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 20, how be it as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up. And I mean, he will go back through Lystra, uh, later on. But anyway, he came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas. He came, oh, there it is. Thank God, God helping me. He went back into the city of Lystra. Yeah, there it is. He went back into the city of Lystra the next day. He departs from there to go to Derby. Amen. Derby is the pivotal point. Derby is the end of the missionary journey. And so at that point, after going to Derby, amen, he will return back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter in the kingdom, into the kingdom of God. Continue in the faith. The only way you can learn the kingdom of God is through much tribulation. He had already experienced it. He had already experienced it. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't be a quitter. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they went back through. They came from Derby back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch of Pisidia. They'll go on back through Perga. They'll head back home to Antioch of Syria, the headquarters. But in the process of returning back to those churches, those people who are now believers, they ordain elders in every church. And the word ordain means to appoint. It means to choose. It means to appoint. I talked about ordain, pointing the finger. They're ordaining. That means that they know God is pointing the finger at them, these men in those churches, and so now they point the finger and they ordain them. They choose them. 
they placed them in positions called eldership. The word here which means ordain can also be translated to lift the hand. To lift the hand. Originally, it meant to lift the hand or to cast a vote. But progressively, it became a word that meant to appoint or to choose. So what I'm telling you is that when elders are appointed, they are, first of all, called by God, they're appointed or ordained by the leadership of the church. They do not have to be voted on. But it's okay if you do. Does that make sense? When we appoint eldership in this church, the Apostle Paul was an elder but a different rank. Okay, He was an elder appointing elders, ordaining elders, choosing them, placing them in the church. When we place elders in this church, we will choose them because we believe God has ordained them. We will bring them forth. We will lay hands on them after praying and fasting. And we'll set them publicly or place them publicly in the church as eldership. They will have ruling authority in your midst. They will uh, be apt to teach the Word of God to you. Okay? But, okay, and the way we will do that, we will choose an appoint. I will choose an appoint as I recognize God's will in that. And we may have you uh, you know, just slip your hand as a vote of, of we're behind you, we're behind that. You know, we may have, we may do that, we may not do that. Okay? Because here in the text, what I'm trying to show you, the word means to choose and appoint in its ultimate sense. But it does not exclude the possibility of the lifting up of the hand. Alright? Say praise the Lord. Give the Lord praise. Oh, hallelujah! So they set elders in the house, or they placed elders in, the, in these churches, right? They prayed, they fasted, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, that's Perga. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, that's the coastline. And thence sailed to Antioch, they're going from Atalia, the coastline of Asia Minor, back to Antioch of Syria. From hence, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and were gathered, the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith. There we go. Opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. They went back to the home church in Antioch and said, this is what God's doing among the Gentiles. They're coming to the Messianic kingdom. They're not becoming Jews. They're not being circumcised. They are being saved. They are being forgiven. They are being justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ. They, this is an awesome thing that's happening. And they're sharing it with the church. And everybody's excited about the awesome revival that's taking place as they give the report as to what, is, what God is doing. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen. And that concludes the first missionary journey. God bless your heart. I appreciate you staying. I know it's been long. Hallelujah.